Hi everyone, and welcome to the Business of Customer Love podcast. I'm your host, Simeon Atkins, Senior Product Marketing Manager at Mention Me. Growing your brand through customer love might seem like an idea that belongs in the company cafe rather than the boardroom. But identifying, growing, and activating a base of loyal fans is serious business. And the results of harnessing brand advocacy can be truly transformational for both your company and your customers. We gather experts from across the space to shine a light on how you can unleash a virtuous cycle of sustainable, organic growth where your best customers keep coming back and bringing their friends too. So let's get into today's episode. So I'm delighted to be joined by today's guest, Jem Passant. Jem, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So you're here to talk about how brands can make great customer experience part of the fabric of their organisation. But before we dive in, do you want to give our audience a quick introduction? Sure, yeah. My name's Jem Passant. I have worked in um, the financial services industry for over 20 years. It makes me feel really old when I say that. Um, And for the last 15 or so have been specifically in um, senior leadership positions, mostly in the customer experience arena. Um, I've worked for larger brands like Aviva or LV and most recently was at um, a startup unicorn pet insurer, Many Pets. Um, And you can find out more about me on LinkedIn. Fantastic. So... To get things off, uh, to get things kicked off, could you share a time recently where you as a consumer experienced customer love firsthand from a brand that you interacted with? That's such a great question because you want that to be something that happens every day and is at the forefront of your mind. I think working in customer experience kind of spoils you a little bit maybe because I expect really high standards from brands I interact with and often that's not the case. Um I would say, and this is actually a couple of months ago now, so I'm sure there's been some since, but not that I can think of. Um, When I interact with my car insurer recently, I'm really critical of the service that insurers provide because I've spent pretty much my whole career in insurance. And um, I've had a minor incident in a car park um, and needed to call my insurer and let them know. And just it's horrible it wasn't even a major thing but it's just a horrible thing to have to do it's a piece of admin but it's also just you know not a nice thing to have happened to you because however minor it is it's a bit of a shock at the time and they were absolutely phenomenal and the young I could tell he was fairly young the guy that I spoke to and also fairly new you can just sort of when you've done a lot of call center listing in insurers like I have you can tell and he was just great Um, And he said a couple of things that he'd obviously been trained to say. And it was firstly, are you okay? Is everything okay with you? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. The only damage is to the car. And he said, well, we can fix cars. So that's great. And it was obvious he'd been trained to say it, but it didn't feel trite in any way. And so at the end of the call, I asked him his name and who he was. Um, and I told him that I thought he'd been brilliant and he was like oh my goodness I'm really new it's like my first week um, and I wrote to I wrote to somebody I knew at the insurer and told them how good he was because I think that's the other thing we need to remember to do is to praise the good stuff because very often what happens is people in those types of roles get told when things aren't right or they could be better but they often even whether it's from customers or their leadership they often don't hear enough about what the really good stuff is and have that positive reinforcement of, you know, keep doing what you're doing. 
there are so many things I love about that story. I think, um, as you said, the situation that you were in really was crying out for, you know, some kind of customer love because it is a stressful scenario, you know, whether it's a serious accident or not, that is a time where you really need an arm around your shoulder to, you know, make sure that you feel reassured and everything's okay. Um, but I also love the fact that you closed the loop with that as well. You made sure that he recognized that he had actually delivered some excellent customer experience that made a big difference to you because hopefully now that will have a knock-on effect and he'll start doing that that more often. And the fact that you followed up with the company as well, you know, hopefully they'll kind of try and um, encourage that throughout the rest of the business as well. So I think that's a, that's a great example, Jem. Thank you for that. Sure. Um, so let's get into the real meat of what we were going to discuss today. So I think... The idea of customer love is obviously something that means different yeah. things to different people. Um, and I think often it's very difficult to, to quantify and actually measure it throughout a business. So given that in your experience, how would you go about articulating it to an entire organization so it resonates right from the board level down to the front yeah. line? Um, what you're saying is really true, that it's hugely challenging. Um, and I think to anyone who's starting a new business or a new company or has got a startup venture there's a really fantastic opportunity to have it right kind of front and center right from the beginning and so if that's you and if you are just about to start something new try and have it front and center from the beginning and try and think about designing everything you do from the customer's perspective try and think about embedding it through your values and the things that you're looking for when you recruit your people um, for most organizations that's not the case um, they are trying to improve their customer experience um, or they're trying to bring the concept of customer love even though they might not be calling it that um, into an organization that already exists so it's essentially change and really what it is is cultural change so my experience of that um, having done quite a lot of cultural change in this context in various organizations is you have to find something that resonates with people and it doesn't really matter if it resonates with them all in the same way as long as the outcome that you're trying to achieve is what they all understand to be similar from that resonance they have that sounds like gibberish so I'll give you what I actually mean so what I mean by that is one of the reasons I love the title of this podcast and I love the way that you mentioned me talk about customer love is because it, it invokes something. It makes you think really differently because it's not typical business language, but it also invokes a feeling, right? Because we understand love to be a feeling. Um, and where I think organisations struggle with this is they think of um, customer concepts as strategies or tasks or deliverables or just business stuff that needs to be done where actually what you need is to be able to articulate it in a way that can resonate with like you say everybody from um, the frontline roles right up to the board um, and when I say it doesn't really matter if it resonates in exactly the same way those different people will have had personally different experiences of what being loved as a customer feels like and they'll also know how they think that should be um you'll also have a situation where people in frontline roles often feel like that's really what they're there for and so to be recognized that that's what they can do and be able to do it feels really powerful for them 
there might be people on the board or the exec level who maybe don't feel quite like that because they're not the ones delivering it, but they like the feel of it or the sound of it, or they might even just think it's a bit cool. And that's all right. It doesn't matter if it's that your investors think it's cool and your frontline people think it's real for them. It's just the fact that everybody can join together in, in believing it. And so that might be delivered in different ways in terms of the engagement, but it really is about finding a thread through the culture either with something slightly new or something that already exists um, to try and articulate why it's really important to put this concept of loving our customers at the front of what we're doing for some organizations that might be looking at the values and figuring out which values that they already have might um, relate most closely to that and focusing some storytelling around those values um, for other organisations, it might mean introducing some new concepts like, for example, a way of communicating in a brand tone of voice or a customer tone of voice that really kind of codifies and embeds how customers feel when they're interacted with by that brand. Um, but really, I think it is about tapping into our humanity, which means talking about feelings and kind of winning hearts rather than think, talking about, you know, slightly drier stuff, whether that's metrics or strategy, um, for me is the, the real thing you have to get to and figure out what that means for your organisation. Um, so that's kind of, for me, that's the main thing. And I, would, I will just add briefly that um, often when we're thinking of doing something like that, we might bring in a consultancy to do it, or we might ask a specific team um, in the business to do it, like a project team. Um, it's really, really important to consider a couple of things when we're doing that. Number one, the organisation already has a heartbeat. So trying to completely change the rhythm of an organisation by bringing in something totally new often just doesn't really stick. It's the whole culture each strategy for breakfast adage, but it really is about the fact that finding out what those heartbeats are and they might if you've got an organization with stores each store might have a slightly unique character if you've got an organization with contact centers each contact center might have a slightly different character your technology team might have a slightly different rhythm than your financial accounting team but finding where the similarities are and finding something that's flexible and can work for all of them however they might choose to pick it up and run with it um is really really important and the other thing is when you're considering how you do it getting input from those people and getting input from a cross-section of those people ideally diagonally and what I mean by that is each different department and people at different levels so you're not going to be able to have someone at every level from every department but if you cross-section really well you will end up with a group of people who can really give true perspective of what's going on in the organisation, which helps you understand what you need to do to, to get these messages across or these stories across that you're going to use to try and um, engage them in that, in that concept of how you want your customers to feel. I love this idea of having values that everyone can get behind as well. Um, I think that's a really good place to start either with existing values, as you said, or if you don't have values, actually, it could be a great opportunity to get people in a room from a cross section of teams and actually start to agree those. And then from there, your principles can kind of follow. I think that's a great, yeah. a great take. The, from the other thing just to add about values is 
if you go into organisations, particularly organisations in similar industries, you very often will find that their values are really similar. And that can be a bit of a challenge. So you might walk into half a dozen insurers, let's say, and all of them might have a value that is something like authenticity or being authentic. Where I think it's good to consider how your values can support this kind of work is either thinking about those values in terms of active language, which might actually mean turning them into two or three word values that are an an action, um, or um, even sentences, although they're quite hard to remember, or codifying them slightly by understanding what they mean to your people. So authentic yeah great we all want to be authentic but as a concept when you're trying to think about what that means for delivering for customers it's actually it's really big so it could mean something super different to the person that's coding your digital product than it would mean to the person in the human resources or people team than it would mean to somebody on the front line but through um certain uh, questioning tools so um, appreciative inquiry is a really great questioning tool for for doing this which is um what are we like when we're at our best trying to understand from people across the business if we think about being authentic let's just take that as our value across many many businesses that we know they have um what does that mean when we're at our best and finding actually the nuggets the stories about what that means in each of those areas it will mean something really different but actually being able to tell those stories then people can relate to that because it's meaningful to them and then we can talk about what that means for customer outcomes um i think it would be fair to say that implementing a gold standard customer experience strategy is often fraught with many challenges what are some of the common traps that you see companies falling into when they're looking to improve their customer experience strategy and um, maybe some of the ways that companies can get around Yeah, for those? sure. And it's such a great question because there are many. <laughs> um, I think a few of the really big ones that I see again and again. Um, the first one would be actually something that's often brought about by the name of what we're doing, which is believing it to be a strategy rather than culture change. So we've just talked quite a bit about the fact that I believe it to be culturally um, the core of who you are as an organisation, which for some organisations they start that way and then they have to maintain it. And for others, it's culture change. Um, so we, we've not talked too much about that, but but thinking of it as something other than that, and maybe paying a bit more kind of lip service that it's some tasks or some deliverables or something that can be done overnight. Um, that's definitely a, a pitfall. Um, I think another one is how to measure. I don't know that anybody's come up with a great way of doing this necessarily, um, but there are loads of great measurements that you can use. Um, the truth is you need to look at more than one thing um and even with nps which most people use now and of course you talk a lot about at mention me um even fred reichelt himself the person that invented nps will talk about how you know it's the one number you need but ignore others at your own peril kind of thing so you can't just look at single metrics partly because you then only get one perspective but also because they're often so aggregate. So what tends to happen is that 
individual teams might know what their NPS is or even individual people and they might read comments and understand and really get into the detail. By the time you get up to board level, the question is, what is the NPS for this shop or that contact centre or just what is the NPS for our claim service across the whole country or whatever it might be? And it's it's too generic. And I know that people don't want to hear that. I totally understand that execs and boards want to look at a number for this, a number for that, and a number for something else. The truth is that doesn't really work. Now, it doesn't mean that boards have to get into loads and loads of detail. What it does mean is you need to bring in a human element. So that could be that there are leadership within the organization who are looking in a lot more detail um for me what i think it means is making sure that everybody across the organization and again that could be in any department is experiencing interacting with the customer in some way or another so as i said i've mostly worked in insurance and you can't just stick one of your coders on the phone for insurance sales because it's regulated and there's a ton of training that they would need what you can do is make sure that those people are regularly listening to calls and that could be call recording or it could be um live with a frontline person so at many pets i used to make sure that what we were doing was that everybody from around the organization a for as induction so as part of their induction but b then ongoing Once a year, if they wanted to do more, then great. And some of our product managers for our digital products um, were constantly call listening because it was a really interesting part of what was failing in their product that caused people to need to call up for help. Um, Making sure that those people are, are listening to the customers having an experience or watching the customers having an experience. So it could be session recordings or whatever you like. With execs and boards, um, I like to play calls. And it can be super cringy because you will play the great stuff and you'll also play the stuff that needs improvement. But sometimes that's the reality that people need to hear. So for me, I think, you know, not understanding it as cultural change, just seeing it as metrics are probably two of the the big ones that I would say that people fall into. And then you are a few years down the line and, and nothing doing. The other one, just to throw it in, because it is really important, is focusing on CX or journeys or those metrics in the good times. And then when times get a little tougher, which is definitely what's happening now, um, globally, um, for sure, in the UK, we're experiencing that specifically as well. Um, When belts tighten, imagining that actually you need to focus on the financial numbers rather than the customer view it's actually the opposite is true. This is the time when we really need to understand what our customers are telling us because they have more choice than they ever have and have had and they also have less money now than they've had for a long time, which means there are certain things that they will either try and stop having at all or that they will go and try and find cheaper. And so our job is to make sure that they want to stay with us because you know, whoever us is in this context because of the experiences they're having with us because we're treating them like humans because they feel like we we understand them, which is that whole concept of customer love. I couldn't agree more at that point. I think now more than ever is the time really where where companies need to be doubling down on their customer experience and and almost going above and beyond where they normally would. It's definitely not the time to be uh, withdrawing from that. Um, 
I wanted to I wanted to come back to a point that you just made there around making it um human or making the customer experiences human for people. And I wanna I wanna dive into that a little bit more because I think that's a really important point. Would you be able to kind of elaborate that on that a little bit further and, and maybe give some more examples of what companies can do to you know connect with their customers on a more human level? Yeah, for sure. So I think um there's a number of ways to to do this and i think there's um there's no substitute for actually hearing what it feels like to be a customer of your organization and sometimes that's really really painful um to hear if you don't hear it it doesn't mean it's not happening it just means you're not informed about it so it's important to be brave and go out and understand what your customers are experiencing and that can be done in lots of different ways i mentioned you know, listening to calls or session recordings and stuff. But you can also make sure that you are um, running customer feedback panels or you have a customer advisory board or whatever it might be, making sure that you're getting that feedback in. One of the things that I think um, is really, really important is for organisations to let every individual that works in that organisation know that they have the freedom to solve customer problems and they can do that in innovative ways. And that might not need to be super, super innovative. It doesn't have to mean that you code a whole solution just for one customer. It just means that people need to understand that they have the freedom to solve those problems. Um, And that can look really different depending on where in the organisation someone sits. Um, So typically, if you're in a really senior role, you'll be setting a strategy and you have a lot of power and control, probably. Um, You're also probably further away from those customers and their challenges. So, again, making sure that you're immersing yourself in feedback and understanding what the customer's challenges are, what the market challenges are, and trying to come up with with innovative problems and solving solutions. Um, If you're on the front line you're probably doing that every single day anyway within the bounds of your role. What can be really fantastic and super empowering is for people in frontline roles um, to be given the ability to do that little bit extra that the customer wouldn't be expecting. So, for example, certain coffee chains giving a free coffee and the barista or the server having a, a number of free coffees that they're allowed to give in a certain period of time but not a crazy number like one a month you know enough that it's actually meaningful for them that they experience that feedback but you know when it looks like someone's having a hard day or whatever that might be and in um, contact center type environments it can be things like allowing people to have discretionary budgets um, so that if there's something that they need to do for the customer um, it could be that actually they need to waive a cancellation fee, which has to come out of a budget somewhere, because if that, I don't actually believe in cancellation fees, but a lot of organisations use them and they are embedded into the finances, which means that, you know, to waive them, you need to know as a frontline person that you've got ability to do that and you're not going to get in trouble for it. Sometimes it's really the right thing to do. Um, but yeah, those those kind of flexible ways of allowing people to... Um, to show that that they care um we would sometimes uh, another many pets example we would sometimes be in a situation where um 
people might be making a claim for something to do with their pet. And it could be that the pet had passed or the pet was sick, but it could be that they were also in a really, really difficult situation. We've had uh, some heartbreaking stories about other contexts that people are in, um, meaning that they were presently homeless because they'd had a house fire and that's why the pet was sick and needed to be looked after. But also they had nowhere to live, so they couldn't rehouse the pet when they came out of the vet because they were in temporary and they weren't allowed pets and they just didn't have anything so even just sending like a discretionary kind of food voucher like googling where is their closest supermarket oh it's Sainsbury's or Tesco or whatever and we'll send them a 20 pound voucher so they can buy dinner or sending a bunch of flowers because of a certain thing that had happened we'd have done that a number of times for people where they were calling to say they needed to take ownership of the pet because their partner had passed and that the partner used to be the named policyholder for the for the pet you know sending condolences for that context those sorts of things you don't tend to have as a process for them because they're not totally unusual but you don't always want to do it or need to do it and in some cases customers might not want it it would feel too intrusive for them but sometimes you want that discretionary ability to say you know that's that's what we need to do for this person Great examples. And I think, you know, with pets, obviously, people are so emotionally attached to their pets as well. You know, I think you've, you've given some other examples to be in the past of, of things that many pets have done to really kind of yeah. customers as well. On that yeah, for sure. So when Many Pets first started, it was called Bought by Many at the time. Um, it was a really small number of people in one office in Hayward's Heath before my time, actually. And um, when a pet died, um, one of the customer service execs would walk around the corner to um, the local um, shop and buy a condolence card and handwrite it and put it in the post. And actually often what would happen is everybody in the office, because it was only, say, a dozen people at the time, would sign that card. Um, As the businesses scaled, that's not as practical. People are working from home. (laughs) It would take a very long time for us all to sign a card. Um, But we, many pets are still sending um, RIP cards for sure that's a really important part of that customer journey because it's such an emotive and challenging time and um, they're not hand signed by every single person in one office anymore um, but it's still definitely a thing that happens um, but that personalization um, is something that that was again that human touch um, another thing that that many pets um, have done uh, was working with a company called Impact who work with lots of other organisations. John Lewis, for example, is one of their really big clients. Um, And um, sending personalised tins of dog biscuits with an illustration of their dog's face on the front with the name underneath for top referrers. So where, um, where we know that customers are truly embedded advocates of the brand, um, giving them something that, they already get a reward for being a referrer, right? As they should, in my view, um, which is, you know, usually in the form of a voucher. And that's a standard thing. A lot of people will refer once. Lots and lots of people will refer once. Those people who are referring multiple times and continually, they're your absolute gold. They're the people that you really want to be nurturing. Um, they're also people who you genuinely want to say a thank you to. They're they're essentially helping you grow your business. That's what Mention Me is entirely based on, right? Um, so yeah, doing properly personalised stuff 
um, for them was a, a really fun campaign to work on. Um, and that's the sort of thing that John Lewis do um, for their top referrers or people who've been part of their award programme for a long time or whatever. Um, one of my friends got one um, from John Lewis at the end of last year and said, I've got this handwritten envelope and it can't be handwritten. That can't be a thing. Surely they've just printed it to look like handwriting. I was like, I actually know who does that. And it is genuinely a handwritten envelope. Um, but that really wows people. So trying to get as much of that human touch in, um, even in kind of the working from home and everything's now automated days, um, is is fantastic if you can do it. Nothing says customer love more than the personalised right. document. Yeah, and it's really, really hard so. to do, which means you sometimes need support and you actually need systems and processes in place to do it. But that doesn't mean it's not still love and it's not still spontaneous and it's not still relevant. It just means that those things that we sometimes think of as being... Um, historically, I think people might have thought of as optional extras are becoming more needed, especially, I think, now, kind of you know, where we are now, having essentially had collective trauma for the last few years, um, which is widely acknowledged, um, people still are feeling very overwhelmed with life and generally very under-supported. So anything you can do as an organisation to make something a little bit easier or just to feel a little bit more, um, for someone to feel a little bit more cared for, genuinely cared for, um, will make a massive difference to 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 your organization and to them as a customer brilliant jen it's been an absolute pleasure thank thanks you thanks so much for today. having me you've been listening to the business of customer love podcast hosted by mention me thanks for tuning in and be sure to join us next time where we'll be speaking to some more amazing guests about how you can harness the power of customer love see you again soon